Hello, and welcome to the Player to Prospect podcast. The following episode features a conversation with Nolan Kane, an assistant coach and the recruiting coordinator at Texas A&M University. To support the podcast, all follows, ratings, and reviews are appreciated. And now, I present to you, Nolan Kane. The first thing I wanted to ask was just pretty much how the fall is going. Um, you guys just wrapped up the fall, so I kind of just wanted to ask about that, just how you yeah, feel we about had how a, your fall went. We had a great fall. Um, you know, one of the things last year, we were all new. Coach Sloshnagel, Coach Yeski, myself, uh, Coach Early, our hitting coach, Director of Baseball Operations, uh, Jace Hutchins. He had been here for 30 years. Will Fox, our mm. Director of Video and Scouting. He had been here for, this was his third or fourth year. And mm -hmm. then our Director of Player Development, uh, Chuck Box, had just come in. So we had never worked together, number one. <laughs> we didn't That's really crazy, know yeah. each other that well. Like... Uh, Coach Yeski and Coach Box and Coach Sloshnagel, they went back over the years, but uh, I had just known them from being on the recruiting trails or playing against them. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't even really know Coach Early well at all. We're very similar age. He's, his kids are about my kids' age. So uh, they play on, our sons play on the same travel ball team now. But, mm -hmm. uh, but so just all of us working together, the philosophies, um, how we were going to recruit, how we were going to coach mm -hmm. player development. We were learning each other so much. Uh, and then we had these new players, you know, we probably got eight guys out of the portal when we first got here. Um, <clears throat> there was a lot of players that left before we even got here, whether they were mm. didn't signed professionally or went in the transfer portal because they were looking for, you know, something new. So we were figuring out not just, you know, the players, the players weren't just figuring us out, but we were figuring out each other as a staff. So mm -hmm. when, you know, this last fall was amazing because Brett Minnick, um, Trevor Warner and, and Austin Bost ended up coming back. They uh, had really big numbers. They held them in the draft. They really wanted to come back because we had gone to Omaha and finished third in the country. And mm -hmm. they had a taste of that. Now they wanted to win a national championship. So, you know, those three guys coming back and mixing it with, you know, uh, Jack Moss and Ryan Targosh and those guys, it really allowed our program. We had older veteran guys that had learned our system, learned what we wanted to do. And now they could pass it on to mm -hmm. younger players or the new players that we got here. Whereas if those guys don't come back, we're just rebuilding all over again. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, they're starting over from when we first got here um, to implementing what we like to do on the field, how we do things in the weight room, you know, all mm -hmm. that stuff really builds in and blends together. And, you know, when you have those guys come back, it, 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 it lent to a very, very good fall, very productive. We have a pretty good idea, you know, who's going to be playing what position, this and that, but what mm -hmm. some of these new guys can do, where they're going to fill in at, um, you know, the pitching, you know, replacing guys like Micah Dallas and, and Moo Minifee, who's going to kind of fill those type of roles. So uh, it was a great fall, uh, really competitive. Um, we've got, we feel like we have, you know, more talent than we had last year. Now, does that promise mm. that we're going to Omaha? <laughs> no, it doesn't. We have to go out there and earn that. But uh, we feel great with where the program's at and, and this is the general direction that it's going because when we first got here, we were finished. We were voted to finish 13th in the SEC. Well, there's only 14 teams. Yeah, we ended up winning the SEC West and going to Omaha, and this is magical season where we finished third in the country. And just the excitement that was built up, um, 
you know, we just got approved uh, on November 10th for a $60 million renovation of an already $30 million facility. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of great things going on with Texas A&M baseball. And from the outside looking in, when you look back at this past season, it does seem like, oh, they caught lightning in a bottle. And for you guys, it's like, okay, they might think that. We think it was, you know, a product of, you know, how we went about uh, our business. And like, there's a, there's reasons for why you guys succeeded. And now that you're going into the next year, this is your guys' second year together. Um, do you guys address um, that sort of magic that you just talked about? Um, that you guys had and are you guys trying to replicate that do you address that to your team like yes we went to all my last year like we expect bigger things or it's like last year's in the past like we're just focusing on this year um, and moving forward with that yeah I think uh, you know when you when you go to Omaha and you do those things and you get, you know, you come back for the fall and you've got a brand new team, right? But at halftime of a football game, your team from last year is going on the sidelines, you know, to to get to get uh, introduced in front of 100,000 people at Kyle Field, which is amazing, right? And then, mm -hmm. you know, you've got ceremonies that go on or banquets. And then, you know, you we finally kind of capped it when we gave out the rings for winning the SEC West and, and going to Omaha. And that was kind of the ribbon on the on the bow and, you know, put it on the shelf. And we haven't been uh, you, you can't recreate anything like last year. The Pringles thing got really big and out of control. You know how those things are with college. <laughs> yes. Tulane, y'all used to slap the sticker on the wall and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Pringles became a big thing here. And and the way that that started was just, you know, a, you know, after the game, Coach Sloshnagel talking about being desperate to win and, and just comparing that to, you know, Pringles, you know, like you, mm -hmm. you, you got to be desperate to win daily. I mean, who can open up a Pringles can and just have one? Like you want to have another one, yeah. but we've got to, you've got to delay that gratification. We've got to bring that same intensity tomorrow. And then, you know, we go to LSU and mm -hmm. Targosh hits a, a homer there and comes in and Micah Dallas and, and Nathan Detmer feeding guy Pringles coming back to the dugout and you're like what what is going on right but it was just yeah. this thing that created momentum and and it was really just us trying to get our message across is listen we are trying to win we're going pitch to pitch we're trying to win every single pitch we're trying to go inning to inning we're trying to go game to game we're doing everything step by step and it sounds like coach speak but when you really break it down like that to the mental game of baseball. What are we trying to do? And that's dominate each pitch. And when guys finally buy in, especially a lineup, you know, one through nine, when everybody buys into what we're trying to do, it's a magical mm. thing because it just elongates innings. It, it runs pitch counts up. It does all these things. And um, we're not necessarily trying to recreate the magic as much as, like I had touched on earlier, having those guys back, being able to pass down the system because, you know, there's, you know, coach Sloshnagel says it all the time. It's, 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 it's coach fed, but player led, you know? Mm. So now these players have something to pass on to the next guys as, as attrition happens with your roster guys get drafted, guys graduate. Now the yep. younger guys kind of come up through your program. And now I, I think the strength of a program, which is what we're still trying to do because, you know, with the transfer portal, everybody's like, you know, just go out, you, know, you just go out and get the best guys of the portal. But yeah. man, like, we're trying to create a program, like we're trying to create consistency. And, and I don't think you can just do that in the portal. I think there has to be a culture, a strength mm -hmm. that's in your program. That's when a new player comes in and an older guy says, man, that's not how we do things here. 
That's not yeah. how we, this is how we do it here. Yeah. That, that is so important in, in my opinion. Yeah. There has to be some, you know, level of tradition that maintains throughout to kind of give people an idea of what to expect when they show up too. Right. Otherwise it's like, okay, what's this year? Like we're doing a whole new playbook. Like, no, we have to have like some sort of identity, like you said, and then it makes, you know, players want to buy in more once they, you know, first of all, know what they're buying into. Is that like what you guys use the fall for? I've always seen the fall as, as something like, you know, we're trying to get these new guys to, to buy into what these returners already know what to buy into, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, you're always trying to, you know, build your culture. Um, and I think mm -hmm. that's really what the fall, you know, as far as, I mean, you know, when you, when you go into a fall, you recruited the players for a reason. You're not, you shouldn't be bringing guys in and trying to retool a delivery or, you know, retool a swing. You know, it should be more of like, a, you know, hey, man, let's uh, let's develop you more as an infielder. Let's develop, you know, let's make you a better base runner. Let's let's put more bullets in the gun. Right. Like, let's add on to the things that you mm -hmm. already do. Great. Right. So um, and I'm not saying that those things don't happen where like a guy comes in and kind of gets off the rails and you have to kind of you know, fix some things, patch some things back up. But, you know, for sure. us, it's, it's building that team chemistry, that culture within our program. Mm -hmm. uh, we are big, big believers and big users of Brian Kane in, in, in our, mm -hmm. in our program. Uh, we, we dedicated to just those, uh, those habits and those routines and helping guys build their own routines, whether mm -hmm. that's what a routine looks like in the batting cages or what a routine looks like for a pitcher when he's throwing his mm -hmm. bullpen um you know what a, what a habit looks like hey man like getting up and going to class and and making sure you're at the right place at the right time you're not late you're going you're going to class you're on time for weights you're doing all the little things that add up to make a huge difference mm -hmm. uh on a daily basis right so i think that culture piece is what you're always building and and that accountability with your with your players of mm -hmm. Again, like I said a minute ago, like this is how we do things here. This is the way that we're going to go about our business. Yeah, you mentioned the transfer portal too. And I feel like it's a lot easier for transfer portal guys to come in and understand that level of accountability that they need to have. They've kind of already done that somewhere else. But for freshmen, they seem to, you know, not understand as much or they, they just need to grow, you know, like they need to grow into it a little bit. And just in my experience, I've seen so many freshmen come in and they like, it's hard for them to get a grasp on, you know, what, what to do or like the guidance, you know, like they just need so much guidance, you know, but it's, it can be really no powerful. Like you said, there's no bigger jump in your life or yeah. as a player than going from high school baseball, whether you played for the best summer team in the country and you played in the best tournaments and you played at East coast pro and area code and name, name, whatever event you want to name. Right. There's no bigger yeah. jump going from high school baseball to SEC, not just SEC, SEC West, which is the best division and the best conference of college baseball. So that alone is, is a huge, difficult jump for these kids to make, but mm -hmm. also going to college. Like, I mean, it, it's it. I remember being a freshman and being like, oh, my gosh, my life is so sped up right now. Yeah, you know, like I, I waits at 6 a.m. I've got to go to class after class. I've got to go to the academic center i've got to get the field for practice after mm -hmm. practice i've got to go back to the academic center and then as you get older and you know you see guys some of them make the jump in the spring as freshmen to where 
man, life has really slowed down. I, I've figured out my routine, mm. you know, but certainly in their sophomore year in the fall that it, life really, really slows down for them. So uh, at A&M, yeah. we just have a ton of resources. So there's so many kids, so, so many people pulling on the same end of the rope as these kids here. I mean, you've got, you know, your co your head coach, you've got your coaches, you've got your strength and conditioning coach, you've got your trainer. Um, uh, we, we've got academic advisors. We've got, mm -hmm. uh, mental performance coaches, we've got team psychologists, like there, any issue that's going on in your life at Texas A&M, there's so many people pulling on that same side of the rope that you, the only way you can't be successful is if you just stop trying. If you don't try, then yeah. there's no, there's just too many people here to help. And yeah. uh, that's, that's what's awesome about being in a place like Texas A&M where the resources are just basically unlimited, you know? Yeah. When you see a kid using those resources and still struggling though, is there like, how do you approach that? I, I mean, just on like a personal level, you know, you to the player, um, when, just when you see a guy struggling, cause you know, guys struggle in the fall, you know, some guys might have, you know, the fall American season, some guys struggle, like that's just kind of the nature of the beast. Um, at, at least just specifically for you, like, how do you like to approach those guys that are struggling? You know, for me personally, I, I like to like pull them off to the side or if like I can get a, after practice and you know just sit in the in the dugout for a little bit longer and see if that guy usually if that guy's using that time to get a little bit of a blow or like a little bit of a you know a release if you will of like man this is a tough day you know just mm -hmm. kind of lingering around there in in mm -hmm. the dugout for an extra five or ten minutes and you'll be surprised that if you want to talk to a guy a lot of the times that guy wants to talk to you as well or he's looking for somebody to come talk to him right so just mm -hmm. being I mean I think you know for me, I, I wasn't a great player. You know, I was always the seventh to 10th best pitcher on, on my team at LSU. So I had my struggles. I had my adversity. I know what that feels like. I also know what it feels like to figure it out, you know, and I, I mm. know what it looks like uh, to what that coach said to me to guide me, to, to let me know that things were going to be fine. And, and I think that that's mm -hmm. really what you're trying to do is just, you know, sometimes giving a you know, there's your moments where you're getting into a guy, you know, you may chew him a little bit, but there's times where sometimes guys just need a little pat on the butt, you know, just to let them know that, Hey man, like you're doing fine. You know, mm -hmm. you're doing the things you're supposed to, the baseball is going to take care of itself. You know, I know sometimes uh, we have weekly meetings on Tuesdays at like 10 AM for like an hour and a half and, and, and everybody's in the room. Like there's like 20 people in the room. It's our coaching staff. It, it's our whole staff of people that are involved with these kids' lives on a daily basis. We literally go through each player. And then wow. you know, sometimes the smaller things that are going on, Coach Sloshnagel may text a player, hey, man, don't come to the field today until you get this assignment turned in, you know? Mm. Or sometimes it might be a, hey, man, when you get to the field, come see me. And, and maybe that's something that's a little bit more serious or a guy needs to know, hey, man, we know you got three tests this week. Like, dude, if you need to, you know, miss out on a few things to get over to the academic center and, and get this done. Let's do that, man. So there's so many different ways to, um, to aiding and guiding and helping these kids. You know, yeah. I think the number one thing is, you know, I was fortunate to work for Paul Maneri, mm -hmm. Hall of Famer, and now Jim Schlossnagel, who's going to be a Hall of Famer, both super successful. And their similarities are just so you know why they have success and it, mm. it's good for me as an assistant coach to see like they do things the right way they hold their players accountable there's a huge high standard for these guys to to live up to yeah and i think that's 
if you do those things and you have good players, the stuff on the field seems to just kind of take care of itself because yeah. Coach Panera and Coach Lachnagel's coaching styles, the way they run an offense, the way that the things that they value on the field or analytically or baseball wise, that's a big variance, right? Like there's different things that we do mm-hmm. here at AM that we didn't even dream about doing at LSU, but mm-hmm. accountability, the, the standards, the things that we value, the culture, all of those things almost match up identically. And it's really cool to work for two uh, amazing, great head coaches that have had success. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned the resources too off the field, and I think that can only help you guys on the field, like you said. I mean, let's th- let's talk a little bit about like on the field um, in terms of like the development side of things, um, and specifically in the fall. Um, development is definitely like a big thing that you guys can utilize because you don't you're not in the competitive setting because obviously once in the season you know it's like okay we can't stop the game and have some other guy like come in and have a guy pitch again or whatever but just on a development sort of piece um, in particular do you guys focus solely on like okay like this pitcher's ball data is you know we're working on that or we're working on um like his metrics or whatever it is, you know, as opposed to like, okay, we're playing games, we're working on the competitive side of things. Like it's just, all right, mo- like mono mono, like games and competitiveness. Yeah. I think with, uh, with development, um, you know, th- when you get a guy out of the transfer portal, like take Jacob Palish last year, left-hand mm-hmm. pitcher that was a grad transfer from Stanford, uh, was always had success, but he wasn't one of their dudes. You know, he goes in the portal and, Coach Yeski had coached against him because he was at Oregon State for a long time. So he'd seen mm-hmm. the guy pitch in person, right? And you see, you he saw things that he really liked about him. Um, and then when you really dive in now, when a guy goes in the portal and you can plug his name into true media <laughs> and get all the TrackMan data that's available on this guy, you know, there were some things that stood out to Coach Yeski when you dive into a player beyond the innings pitched and the whip and the strikeouts and the weight base on balls and the batting average against there's things that you can really dive into. Cause this guy's got two or three years of historical historical data in there. And um, there were a couple of things that Nate really, really liked about him. But then there were a couple of things that he said, man, if we can get this guy, we can try to do X, Y, Z, and maybe this can take this guy to the next level. Um, which, which coach Yeski did with him, you know, mm-hmm. Jacob could barely spin a breaking ball, you know, before he got here and they had worked on a couple of different grips and you throw rap Soto down. And then all of a sudden, you know, it starts to catch fire at the end of the fall. And then, you know, you work into the spring and now all of a sudden dude, it's a 60 pitch. And now this guy mm-hmm. goes from having a nice role to being like, Hey dude, we're bringing this guy out in a super regional at home in a three, two count where making a pitching change change to bring this guy in to throw the slider. He punches the dude out. The next Mm -hmm. guy punches out and we go to Omaha and then he carves in the college world series. And he had a, you take that guy off of our team last year. We're not in Omaha. You take Troy Clonch. Uh, I coached the catcher. So Mm -hmm. Troy Clonch was amazing uh, player at Oregon state. And, you know, you start looking at some analytics and you realize, man, this guy's really good receiving catcher, but, he does not get any strikes called to his glove side. So you're like, why is that? So you, you see that. And then you dive in uh, with track man and you blend it with video 
and you start realizing like this guy's catching everything really deep hmm. so he's, he's not catching it up towards the plate when it's on his glove side so literally that was the only adjustment we made with troy clanch um it's not and I'm, not saying, I'm not saying we're any better coaches than anybody else it was just this guy's a really good player what are the two or three things that we can really dial in on on this guy to make him a, a really good player to a great player mm -hmm. and so you fix a couple of things then and I'm not saying that I fixed it as a coach. I showed Troy the information. I showed him the video. And I said, what do you think this is the best way for us to attack this? And he goes, man, like, mm -hmm. number one, that's really disappointing. But number two, like, I know what I need to do. And so you just work on that over and over and over and over and over again. And then mm -hmm. at the end of the year, you look in and he's the 16th best receiving catcher in the country. And what is the value of that? Well, that guy oh. helps win so many games. Yeah. I mean, this guy's, you know, just stealing strikes left and right, you know, stry balls, fringe balls, whatever you want to call them, those pitches that are, you know, one and one and a half, two balls off the plate. The guy's turning them into strikes a lot and, uh, you know, huge piece of what we did. So I think when you're working with those older guys that have been in your program or you get out of the transfer portal and you have data and you have information, um, you can really attack those weaknesses over a long period of time whereas in the fall of a freshman that's coming in you're kind of letting him do his thing you're letting him compete you're working with him you're trying to iron out a few things but um hmm. you know now at the end of the fall when the team practice is over now you're using that individual time which is probably two and a half three weeks tops to where like okay jace laviolette needs to stand in on left-handed breaking balls a lot left-handed hitter hmm. he hasn't a lot of that in high school baseball you certainly don't see a lot of really good left-handed breaking balls over the course of a high school career right so yeah. you know you, you can really make that an emphasis and try to you know turn that into you know something the kid feels more comfortable with so I think there's so many different ways to attack it and it and it's all it's all different that's the biggest thing I can tell you here is we don't cookie cut you know yeah I swing swings are different guys mechanics are different on the mound the way we do things behind the plate with each of one of our catchers is a little bit different uh, because everybody's bodies are a little bit different. The way they functionally move is a little bit different. So, um, you know, there, but there are all similar qualities and similar things that they need to work on as well. So, yeah, I mean, developmentally baseball is so hyper-specialized, which is, it sounds odd because it's a team sport. So I just the fact that you guys, you know, you say that it's not cookie cutter, it's specialized, it's very player specific, like that, I feel like is the trend line, you know, for how things have been going. And you'd probably agree technology has been kind of the like main catalyst in switching over that sort of development side of baseball, at least on the like college level. This. You're not if you're not using the technology and the data. um at some point too, like these kids, you gotta, these kids have grown up with iPads and iPhones. Yeah. Now, you know, yeah. You gotta coach in a very visual way. So, you know, if you don't throw rap Soto down every once in a while for some bullpens, you know, that becomes a very easy crutch for a guy to go, well, I'm not getting developed here. Mm. Well, they, they, they'd use this. Like, so you have to give them all the tools and the resources. You have to have a really good understanding of how those things work because, you know, mm. last year, Nathan Detmer, who had an amazing year for us and now is, you know, projected to be a first rounder all of a sudden, you know, he's up to 99 this fall, you know, big, strong, mm -hmm. right hand. Pitcher. Like we found out that he had an elite sinker because of 
a rap soto in a pitcher versus hitter that was inside because it was freezing cold. He was just messing around with something and threw it. Our analytical guy was sitting there with Coach Yeski and they were like, hey, throw that again. Yeah. He just does it over and over and over and over and over. And you're like, this is like, this is what this guy should be doing. It's just hitting you right in the face because you see yeah. it with your eyes. And then you have this technology piece that says, yes, this is really good. Mm-hmm. And you blend those two things together. And now you're able to show a pitcher and he didn't even know the ball was really moving because you're pitching it. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, you don't know that. You're able to something like, hey, dude, like this is what you should be doing. You should really believe in this. And then he goes out and has just an amazing year for us and going to be our Friday night starter this year. So mm-hmm. I think if you're not utilized, I, I think at some point too, like you can't let those things become a crutch. I think it's a tool. Mm-hmm. It's a tool to help kids develop. But I think if you're just going all in on that side, I think you're going to miss out on some pieces, but I think if you're going all in on the old school side, I think you're missing out on some pieces as well. I think it's all about yeah. finding a way to blend them together. And that's the biggest thing that I've noticed from being around coach Yeski is like our guys use core velocity belts. They, they have uh, the, the plyo care balls. They have all this stuff that they use rap Soto track man. But if you go out there and watch guys do their routines, they're all doing something different because mm. they've all got it and it all starts in the weight room and with our trainer you know when they do their functional movement screening when they come in like hip mobility Mm -hmm. scat mobility you know coach yeski mac our strength and conditioning coach and isaac they talk every single day about every single pitcher because at the end of the day they all are different they all do different things their bodies move differently but we have to it takes a lot of energy and a lot of time to train 16 pitchers differently but that's what we do here yeah, I mean, and you kind of have to because you know it's going to yield the best results. Like you said, it's not cookie cutter. But also the whole balance of the old school and new school thing. How do you guys do that in the fall when it comes like game time? And because there's going to be that guy, I was this guy where you might overthink it a little bit. You might be thinking about like, ooh, that, okay, did that ball move like well enough? Like, with, you know, they, they're a little over analytical, you know, when they're supposed to be competitive. And then there's maybe guys who don't understand the number side of things too. So do you guys like to dissociate from that and say like, all right, this is competition, like just go out and compete. All right. Now you can kind of like talk about your ball data and stuff like that. It's bullpens, you know, or is it kind of like, okay, we expect you to understand, like there's a clear difference between these two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, once you step on that rubber, I mean, it's gotta be, it's gotta be competition based because your stuff yeah. could vary day to day. So, um, you have to be able to go out there and find a way to compete and win um, even when you don't have your best stuff. And I think that comes from communication in, in, in between innings in the dugout with Coach Yeski, mm. Coach, Coach Flossnagel. Our catchers are really, really vocal and really, really involved in, in the process with our, with our pitchers. And, uh, mm-hmm. and just, hey, this isn't working today. We got to do this. We're going to live off of this for right now. So I, I think that competition piece is something that we we drive daily. You know, there's competition in our weight room every day. There's competition on our field. Um, there's competition within our practice. Um, there's a lot of structure to the things that we do. And, and I think a big part of all of this bounces back to the things that we believe in with the mental game of baseball is is having your routines. You know, when okay 
practicing your breathing techniques, like getting off the rubber and slowing yourself down. We even have a thing with our catchers where we call them red lights, yellow lights, green lights, green lights, man, things are going good. Put the fingers down, give the target, give, you know, let them go. Right. Let yep. the pitcher move the pitch, 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 pitch. Right. And then, Hey man, maybe you've missed a spot a couple of pitches in a row. You know, our, our catchers will actually kind of just lob it back to the pitcher. And that's just a cue for the pitcher to like, get off the rubber, reset, hmm. give do your release, go through your mental breathe, you know, your mental, um, your mental stuff and, and your breathing techniques and reset and get back in the count. And then if you get into red lights where things are just going crazy, like we just tell our catchers to stand up and fire it right back at their chest as hard as they can. And that's a really <laughs> big sign for the pitcher to like, okay, I really got to slow down here. The game has that's funny. Up. So, um, you know, I think yeah. that that's, you know, stuff that we work on even in the bullpen with the catchers, you know, and, and with the pitchers just to help those guys, you know, hey, things are going good. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get the. Mm. Let's get. Let's get the. Let's get it going. Let's get it going. Keep the pressure on the hitter. Keep the pressure on the hitter. But there's times mm. where you got to get off the rubber and, and reset and breathe and, and and get back into account. So um, I think that that stuff that you know competition, the mental stuff, the mental part of baseball that we work on with Brian Kane, I think all that stuff kind of funnels in together and kind of gives us your product on the field. Mm. Do you guys um, do scheduled um, like mental training, uh, like on the mental side of, you know, baseball, like you're talking about, or is it sort of just ingrained in like the everyday practice? Well, with the, you know, our, our hitters, you know, when we have BP um, after they hit, you know, sometimes their first round, they've got to come down to third base and do contact play. But then when they go back by the cage, sometimes we have, uh plates down one's red one's yellow one's green and they just work on their routine where they've got mm -hmm. one foot in the box they're out their deep breath you know a couple of maybe three three or four cues that they have with their swing you know um find a focal point of the bat on the bat release it mm -hmm. get in the box go through your routine and then when they uh when they're about to go hit in the cage where they're on deck essentially they're timing up every single pitch that, that, that the BP pitcher is throwing. So yeah, we have yeah. that stuff designated. Our pitchers do uh, mental bullpens. Um, hmm. So even sometimes in the second or third inning, sometimes it's funny if you go watch the broadcasts, uh, uh, people think that we have a bull, a guy getting up in the bullpen, but we don't. There's just a pitcher that's kind of going pitch for pitch for pitch with the guy that's in the game. Mm, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've just kind that. of putting themselves in, in that moment with that pitcher. So you know, Coach Sloshenko says it all the time, you know, ground ball at your high school or a ground ball here at Bluebell Park or a ground ball in Yankee Stadium. It's all the same. It's yeah. a ground ball. Yeah. It's just you make it bigger than it really is. A fastball way yeah. is just a fastball way. So just really getting those guys um, ingrained in that, right, and, and going through mm -hmm. it mentally. I mean, we've even had – I was sitting here a couple of nights ago, and then all of a sudden there's music – uh, being played crowd noise being played on our stadium and will johnson's out there doing them acting like he's pitching in the game one of our <laughs> left-handed pitchers and you're like what is going on look yeah. my phone. there he is he's just doing going through delivery making a pitch acting like he's catching it cleaning off the rubber going mm. through his routine deep breath release execute a pitch you know so yeah um, it's really cool to see because uh I didn't figure that out till I was 24 years old in professional baseball, right? Like that you have to learn to slow the game down, right? 
you're Same a professional. Right <laughs> yeah, it's all about executing a pitch and winning every pitch. So like if you throw a, if you spike a breaking ball in the left hand batter's box, there's nothing you can do about that pitch. Move on to the next pitch. Well, how do you do that? You have to have a strong routine. You have to be strong mentally. You have to believe in it. You have mm. to uh, commit to it. Right. So how mm -hmm. do you do that if you never work on it? You have to work on it. So, yeah, we have those yeah. little things to work on the mental game built into our practices. Uh, but we also have, you know, weekly Zoom calls as a team, weekly mm -hmm. meetings team. We call them Toms here, team organizational meetings. That's where I was actually at before I came up here to do uh, this Zoom with you. So, mm -hmm. yeah, our whole staff is in there. Our players are in there. And and that's a huge part of who we are. And, and our players really, really buy into it. That's good. When right now you're playing, we're playing in the SEC West, like uh -huh. everybody has great coaches. Everybody has great players. Like, yeah. what are the things that are going to separate you? This is something that we believe separates us from other teams, but other mm -hmm. teams may do things that they believe separate them from us, you know? So it's just something that we buy into. And I think the consistency is the most important part. Whatever you're mm. doing, the message, the clarity, who's delivering the message, it has to be clear. It has to be set. There has to be a foundation with that stuff. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and you guys are at a point right now, your, your fall is done. I would assume mm -hmm. it's, you know, late yeah, November. Yes. So right now, up until the guys come back, what's that period like? Because I've heard it's the scariest point in time for a coach. <laughs> <laughs> it's the scariest time because, you know, guys are going back home. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe they don't have the access to facilities that they have while they're here. Maybe it's not, maybe, you know, when you're on campus and your baseball field's five minutes from, you know, the engineering building, it's really easy to come here and get your work in. But if you go back home, especially if you're, I remember this happened and you, you probably remember this too. Like remember going back home and being a senior and being back for Christmas break and none of my buddies are playing anymore. Yeah. Like, you know, they don't play baseball anymore. So like, uh... I remember throwing against the fence, like just take a bucket of balls and long toss it and pick it up and, put it in the bucket and then long toss it in a different direction. And then, you know, having to finagle the weight room key away from my high school baseball coach so I could lift and, and do those things. So yeah, it's a, it's a scary point because these guys makes a lot, they make a lot of gains in the fall because our nutrition mm -hmm. is unlike anything I've seen at the college baseball level. And then our strength and conditioning is so good. I mean, we've had, we have got a freshman that's put on 22 pounds since he's been here. You know, you're, you're, you're afraid that that guy, not because he's going to stop working, but just because the resources may not be there for him when he goes home for a month and a half over Christmas break. So, and then yeah. always your biggest fear is like, this guy comes back and all of a sudden, like he's got a leg kick and he's, you know, buggy whipping balls and you're like what, what yeah. did this guy do? Is that, you know you got to get him back on the rails so I think just that communication during the break of hey man send me some video of your bullpen you know hey send let me know what you're doing in the cages let me know you're able to get your work in and we have uh boat captains is what we call them so we got like six of them and they just they they are kind of the leaders of seven other players six other players right so interesting uh, okay they're kind of in charge of making sure that their boat crew is kind of doing the things that they're supposed to be doing over the, over the break. And we have right. a leadership council within our program with four or five guys that are on it, that, that meet with coach Sloshnagel every couple of weeks. And, you know, hmm. they're just, like I said earlier, it's coach led player. I mean, coach fed player led. I was going to say, you know, yes. 
want to feed the program, but they've got, you know, they've got to lead it, you know, and it's their, yeah. it's their team. It's, it's our program, but it's their team. So yeah. these guys, you know, Brett Minnick and Austin Boast and Trevor Warner, they came back for a reason. They wanted to, you know, help A&M get back to Omaha and win a national championship. So, you know, those guys are holding all the other players around them to a very high standard. Mm-hmm. Do you guys label uh, your players, any of your players, maybe those four or five in the leadership council as captains uh, when it comes season time? Do you guys like, is that a thing you guys do? No, but here that the number 12 is really big for the 12th man. So yeah. we haven't yeah. announced who that's going to be yet. But uh, last year it was Troy Clonch, our catcher. And from the minute sure. he got here, he just exuded uh, just every little bit that you could imagine that a, that a leader of a baseball team would be. And, you know, he mm-hmm. got the he, Adley Rutschman's back up for a couple of years. So he got to see greatness like right in front of his face. He got to snapshot of what a first round first pick big leaguer big leaguer leader looked like right so yeah he knew how to do it and when you give the guys the, the guy like that the keys to the car you know he knows what he's supposed to do so we really empowered oh, yeah. him last year you know guys like I mentioned Jacob Palish earlier I mean that guy's a grad transfer from Stanford dude like yeah. I mean like you're like you went to Tulane like I mean a real school dude you know a real institution you know tough school tough to get into tough to make it through and when when you can do the things that those guys were able to do over a four-year period of going to school every day keeping good grades graduating from a great school having success on the field why wouldn't you want that guy in your program why wouldn't you want to why would you not want to empower that player when he gets to your this is a great segue into the recruiting side of things because with the transfer portal now you have such a huge player pool to choose from and you almost have to be real nitpicky about who you guys want to get because again you guys can get you know top top guys like you guys have to pick right too because of obviously the high level competition so how does that work now for you guys like because yeah you can go get talented guys but like you said, you want the guys that are day in, day out, consistent dudes who know how to get it done in the classroom and they're going to show up every day and be potential leaders, you know, on the field. You know, and, and this is something that we talk about, shoot, I, I feel like we talk about it every day around our facility is like, yeah, we still believe that you build a program around high school players, right? I mean, that's, mm. you have a longer relationship with them. You've recruited them for a long time you know, you feel like you're getting guys that fit your philosophy of your pro of your program. Right. But you also have this thing called the major league draft. (laughs) So you never know how it's going to work out. You don't know if that shortstop that you've had a relationship with for three years is going to end up being a first rounder and sign. What do you do? Well, I think the transfer portal is a great like supplement for it. Right. Of, okay. You've got a pretty good understanding in April that, these two right-hand pitchers and the shortstop are going to be first round picks. And then, Oh, all of a sudden the guy that you thought would be back for a senior year is going to end up getting drafted in the 10th to 12th round. You start, you've always got to have a list number one, in my opinion, or you're as a recruiting coordinator, you're not doing your job. So you've always got to have a list. You've always got to have a depth chart and you've always got to have a plan. So when things go wrong or things happen that you don't expect, you're able to rebound very, very quickly. Obviously, the transfer portal allows for that a little bit easier now mm-hmm. uh, because guys don't have to sit out a year. Um, so you're always trying to predict the future, plan for the worst, and hope for the best, right? So yeah. uh, 
but the transfer portal, I mean, it's tough to, it's tough to get away from, but you know, I've had a lot of kids ask me in, in high school or junior college kids that you're recruiting, are you going to use the transfer portal? Yes. Are you going to recruit high That's school? That's a loaded kids? question. Are you going to, are you yeah. going to recruit junior college players? Yes. Are you going to recruit the transfer portal? Yes. Like we're going to recruit every avenue that we possibly can. I mean, yeah, that's that's what the task that you know Texas A&M athletics has empowered us to do as a as a baseball coaching staff is yeah. go out there and put the best product on the field. Um, but I think the system that we want to get to is obviously you're recruiting and committing and signing the best players in Texas, the best players in the country, and then mm. using the transfer portal as a supplement because like i said earlier you want to have a program and you want to have guys yeah. that can pass that down to to the, the the incoming guys the new guys in your program that, that you want that to be a tradition you want that to be a culture you want that to be something that is just infused into these walls because the players pass it down to the next guy and if and i feel yeah. like if you ignore the high school player or you ignore the junior college player. And certainly if you ignore the transfer portal player is you, you can't have those things, you know? Yeah. So it's a balance, man. I mean, I think if anybody tells you out there that they have all the answers, I think they'd probably be lying to you because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, different. it's different, you know, especially you mix yeah. you know, and all that stuff into it. It's a crazy world out there. Well, it's so new too. I mean, come on. What? How many years has it been now that you guys have both NIL and the transfer portal? What is this year? Like two or something? Like three? We were standing around in, uh, I think it was Atlanta and it was kind of a rain delay and a bunch of us recruiting coordinators were kind of standing around trying to stay out of the rain. And mm -hmm. I think one of the guys turned and looked at all of us and said, we're going to look back in 10 years and be like, what was going on? What were we doing? <laughs> yeah. It's a crazy. It's just it's a crazy time. I mean, yeah. Do, do you have any thoughts about where you think that might go? I've thought about it. I've heard some coaches say like they need to limit it or there's going to be some rules that may be passed soon. I mean, what, what's your take on that? I, I honestly, I, I've gotten out of that game a long time ago. Like people ask me, like, you just let it. Yeah, let I'll, it be. I'll believe it when I see it. Like they've been yeah, talking yeah. about giving baseball more scholarships since I played back in 2004. Like, I'll <laughs> yeah. believe it when I see it. Right? Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm not into the rules making games. I, I'm just into mm. uh, what are the rules? What's legal? What's not legal? How do we maneuver and work within that framework and and, and kind of do that? I mean. I know there's a lot of talks out there. I think they're about to finally push through the third assistant, which is something that's, that's long college baseball. I mean, it's long overdue, crazy yeah. that we have that. So that's going to be a, a a big deal and and mm -hmm. something that's going to be pushed in in the right direction, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I asked you that mainly because I'm hearing something, you know, through through the cracks. It's like oh, they might, you know, add to the 11.7 and it's like, or they might take it away completely. And it's like, apparently, you know, this is coming from, you know, my pops or whatever, right? He hears things and it's yeah. like, yeah, you know, schools are starting to just commit guys saying like, this is what we can give you. And it's far beyond what they can actually offer. And yeah, that's, it's like, that's, we, that's we a dangerous not, game. Yeah, we, we have not gotten into that. And I think there's a lot of rumors out there that it could be, 
moving to full rides or it could be 20 with seven partial scholarships and all this stuff. And like, mm-hmm. I tell every kid that we offer, Hey, we're, this is what we're offering you. It's based off of 11.7. If we get more scholarship money, we can readdress this, but it's mm-hmm. really hard to go backwards on people. <laughs> like Gosh, oh, remember yeah. you're be on a full ride, like, are you actually going to owe 10 grand now? That's a really tough conversation. I would rather start here and work to the next level, which makes it easier. It's easier to say, Hey man, you're going to be out of pocket a grand, but it could be a full ride. Maybe in a couple of years down the road. I don't know. It's easier to make that mm. phone call and go, Hey man, remember I told you, owe eight grand. Well, now you, you owe nothing. And and I think that's the yeah. easier conversation in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Um, when it comes to those freshmen too, like, cause like we're talking about this transfer portal and the NL and everything like that. Has that been hard so far to like for those kids? Cause some kids, you know, they're going to hear you say, yeah, I'm definitely going to recruit like junior college kids, like transfer portal guys, like so far in your experiences, have you heard like a lot of pushback to that? Or is it like, okay, maybe I'm not so interested. Like, I don't like the competition of it all. I mean, even though that's a reality, like, and you guys can't really control that. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like if you recruit a hundred players, you know, I mean, if you, if you offer 30 players, you're not getting all 30 of those guys to commit, you know, and, and, and yeah. if a kid calls me and said, Hey, I committed to so-and-so school. Like I just go, Hey man, congrats, you know, good luck to you. Like, I don't ask them why, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's a piece of it. I, all I can tell you is that, you know, you just try to be as honest as you can in that process and i think the people that have committed to us and when when uh when you are honest with them you know i think they appreciate that and they have a really good understanding of 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 what they're gonna have to do to to be on the field and be a starting player here right it's gonna be it's gonna be hard anywhere you go man oh my gosh yeah i mean the players out there now there's so many good programs yeah so many good conferences it's crazy man i mean i remember it was at lsu we lost a coastal carolina and you thought the world was going to end and they won the national championship coastal yeah. carolina and they were really really good unreal <laughs> yeah. you yeah. know what i'm saying so like there's so many good players that we look we lost midweek games last year and you're like that's a really good team you know i mean mm-hmm. it's all the time there's just so many good programs good coaches um programs are great facilities great resources like there's a lot that college baseball has to offer now it's this isn't this isn't 1990 you know where there was six teams that could win the national championship there's legitimately i feel like there's 35 teams that could win the national championship when the when the first pitch is thrown of the year yeah i mean i think that's a good you know point to be at in college baseball i i do fear that transfer portal nil whatever it is the direction it may be going is like away from that i hope it's not though i would hope that it's not i hope that the talent level is still like pretty even right but when you when you're like recruiting players i want to talk about like mainly about the high school players when you're recruiting like high schoolers how much do you guys lean on the technology side of things as compared to that old school traditional eye test you know for the players and maybe how like how long do you like to follow a player before you even I entertain the idea of, of giving them an offer. Yeah. I mean, ideally as a position player, I mean, you know, if I can sneak away in the spring, once March 1st hits and drive down to Houston on a Wednesday when we're not playing or practicing and I can see two high school games, that's awesome. You know, I I love Mm. to do that, especially in Texas. There's so many great high school programs. There's so many great players. 
I mean, it's a great state to be in, number one. Um, Very true. So you love to see those guys in the high school season, but, you know, in the summers, you get to see them play more consistently, right? So you can go to Melissa, Texas, and see a five-tool tournament and see all the best 16U summer teams in Texas. Mm-hmm. And you can post up at one facility and see kids play six, seven games. Um, you have you get some really, really exciting things that happen in that period. But all right, let, let's go see what this kid looks like when we go to Atlanta. Let's see what it looks like. When, you try to track and follow them as much as you can. Unfortunately, sometimes the recruiting processes get sped up really, really fast. Um, yeah. And sometimes you have to move maybe a little quicker than you would want to. But I think for us, a big thing is we're just really, uh, really big believers in the camps that we have um, hmm. because you get to spend time with those kids in person. You can't have recruiting conversations, but you can stand there five feet from them, watch them field a ground ball. Like they can throw a bullpen and you can stand there and watch, you know what I'm saying? They mm-hmm. can play a sim game on your field, right? You get to mm. get to know those kids a little bit better and have a really good understanding of maybe who they are. And you're always trying to do your homework. You know, you're talking to high school coaches, summer coaches, you know, I've gotten to the point in past where you're talking to high school principals or guidance counselors, and you're trying mm. to find as many people as that, you know, that know this kid. And the number one thing for me in every group, great recruiting class that I've ever brought in, there was that one or two kids that you committed early that are really popular, have great personalities, obviously great players, and great players attract other great players. And they have hmm. the dope and the insight on all the kids. They know, you know, you may have that kid call you and be like, hey, man, like, saw these two kids that you, you play. What do you think about these kids? Oh, man, that guy's awesome that kid that guy's a bad kid man he he jumps around from team to team or he doesn't play hard or he's not a good mm. team those are not the things that you that you want to hear when you're recruiting a player right yeah, so yeah uh, i think the players i think the kids i think the families of the committed players you have they know especially because of social media um i was gonna ask yeah i mean social media and uh just all these events across the country these kids know each other like we have committed that's from California that's like best friends with like five kids that are from the state of Texas. And they all just met through the summer circuit and social media and they talk every single day. And yeah. I think that's a, that's a huge component of it is, you know, when you get those couple of kids that are kind of the leaders of your classes and mm. you communicate with those kids and they communicate with you on who they, who they think are really good players, but who they think are awesome people as well. It, it kind of empowers those guys because that's the culture that they want to play with, right? Like they, they want to mm-hmm. have really good players when they show up here and they want to have a really good culture and a really good experience when they get here too. So um, I think huh. just finding out as much as you can about a kid and, you know, listen, do, you know, I remember this year, last year, you know, we get eliminated from Omaha and we had been communicating with a lot of kids that were in the portal and, your season's over with, you fly back the next day, you have exit meetings, and then you've got kids coming in on visits over the next four or five days after that. And then I was late getting out to the recruiting crowd, like trying to smash like 25, 26 days of recruiting, you know, trying to get two months worth of work in, in 26 days, you know, mm. you can get yeah. sped up. And you always have to slow yourself down and just 
remind yourself, hey, we got to do the homework on this kid. We got to really know who we're talking to before we make an offer. Yeah, I mean, and to be in that situation, oh, that's difficult. I mean, from my perspective, I would be leaning toward video a lot. Uh, like that's got to be like a video huge benefit. Me, like it'll show you things that you like, like way oh the way a guy moves on the mound or the way yeah. a guy moves in the box, and you can see bat speed from that. But I can make my ten year old son look like a first rounder if I put together all the videos that my wife has <laughs> in ten year baseball. You know, you got to be very very careful. Yeah, we'll go out there and, and see that player play because. Like, I want to see the way you interact with your teammates. I want to see the way you interact with your coaches. I want to see the way that mm. you interact, uh, you know, with umpires. How do you handle yourself off the field? You know, I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, you're you're at a big tournament and it's in between games and maybe you were really dialed in on this outfielder uh, on, the same, on the field from the game before and they're kind of lingering around and, you know, the arm you're watching, you know, isn't on the mound at that moment and you're just kind of watching seeing how the that kid that played the game before is you know what is he presenting what is he telling you like yeah those like the way that you operate that's your billboard that tells you a lot about who you are so i'm always yeah. trying to watch everything that i can especially when you show up because you're watching two teams play but you're there for a reason you've got a name that you need to see so you're watching that player and I'm trying to watch all the other things that he's doing. Uh, and hopefully along the way, you notice another player that's on the field. I really like that kid too. Or like that left-handed arm comes out of the pen. And you're like, I really like that guy. Right. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a field to see X player and go, I don't like this guy, but who's that? Mm. You know, that, that happens a lot more than you think it does. Huh? That's interesting. I wouldn't think that's the case. But then again, you're seeing so many people and you're bringing up like this, um, this almost character aspect, you know, the way a guy carries himself. Um, so almost an intangible that most people, at least for me, you know, when I was a high school player and thinking about how, what is a coach looking at, right? I'm not thinking, oh, they're, th they're watching how I carry myself. They're watching like body language, all that stuff. Like I'm a 15 year old kid. I'm too stupid to know that. You know, but now it seems like it's such a big component, you guys, to look at. Um, have you found that to also lead to successful players once they get on campus as well? Yeah, I think, you know, guys that are really good players that aren't just talented, but the guys that are consistent performers, they usually have they really they usually make really good daily decisions. Mm. They usually have really good habits. You know what I'm saying? They, they usually get sleep. They usually eat well. They usually work out well. They usually show up to the field early, even though there may not be a cage to either get, you know, to hit in. Maybe they're getting ground balls. Maybe they're doing something else. Like mm. uh, this always stood out to me. I, uh, I had a, uh, when I was at LSU, I'd, we had committed a kid named Christian Cairo and really mm. good player. Ended up signing pro, I think in the fourth round. Um, and then, uh, what was the uh, second baseman at Arkansas? Moore? Uh, Robert Moore. Robert Moore. Yeah. So I was just follow that team around, you know, because I really mm -hmm. like that team. And, I, you know, I'm obviously watching Christian play a lot. Every time I went to the ballpark, Robert Moore and Christian Cairo were taking ground balls on whatever patch of grass or infield or dirt that they could find two hours before the game. Mm -hmm. Is it like 
there's a couple different things like success leaves clues the greats leave footprints like yeah find great like if you're a high school player like find what find greatness like who's great in your high school program who's great in your summer program who's great maybe the facility that you work out at um whether it's a weight room you know a training facility or a cage or you know any of these indoor facilities around the country like find the great ones and then do what those guys do i'm not saying hit like them or like them or feel like them but like bro those Uh guys usually have really good habits they usually really make a lot of really good decisions on a daily basis like you have greatness right in front of you why would you not follow that especially if you're at one of these facilities where there's a professional player around i mean holy cow like you don't need to be in that guy's jock strap but i mean you should be like really keyed in and dialed in on what that guy does on a daily basis and how he goes about his business because that's what greatness looks like you know so um, that would be definitely advice that i would give to a younger player is you know don't just do what's cool do what other really good players do yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's really not rocket science. Like yeah. that, that's been the big thing, at least for me. Um, just like the difference in the day-to-day kind of work, you know, it, there's, like you say, no days off. Like it's, it's every day. Like there's that, that greatness. It's, it's not delayed. It, there's no stopping. Um, it's the, you, it's like the whole thing, especially in pro ball and even in college, like do a little, a lot, not a lot, a little. Mm, you're a position player like and you're in this time of the year like go hit for 30 minutes go take ground balls for 20 minutes go throw for 20 minutes like don't just go out there and hit for four hours and then pack it in for three days like (laughs) do a little a lot not a lot little you know yeah do you talk to your recruits uh in that same way like do you kind of like guide them a little bit or at least like your guys that are committed like do you say like hey like these are some things we like to do like you know what's what's your day-to-day process like do you go about um like kind of not necessarily coaching, but like maybe guiding them sort of in that direction. I think that that's a really big thing for me <laughs> is guiding them as much as you can uh, within the what's legal within CAA rules, right? Like if you guys okay. too dumb, you can't be sending them workouts, so you can't be doing those things, but you can yeah. help guide them, right? Like guide, you know, something with his swing or, hey, what do your guys do? They ask me that a lot, like, what do you guys do a lot in the cages? Like, okay. Like our guys hit a lot of offset BP, you know, we do a mm. lot of seven ball drill. We do, you know, X, Y, Z, describe it to them. And I think that communication um, really builds up a lot of trust because it's not just about committing players, you know, it's about committing players and getting them on campus. Yeah, and, and, and you want them to be as great as they possibly can in their high school. And you want them to have success and go to, pg national or area code or east coast pro but with that comes a lot of professional attention right and you still you know you just want to help guide those guys through their process um so when they do show up that they are fully prepared and have a full understanding of what is going to be expected of them you know it doesn't just hit them in the face that oh these guys lied to me that's you know no this is this is what i told you it was this is how i told you we run this place you know that's why there's no um nobody's caught off guard right Mm. but yeah definitely helping guide those guys you know i've got committed guys that call me every 10 days i've got committed guys Mm. that i call me every three or four months just to catch up you know so especially once they get to be juniors and seniors i can communicate with those guys uh quite a bit and um Mm. 
that makes it easier once they get to that September 1st of their junior year. But until that point, they have to call me. So there's a lot of guys that text me video of them hitting constantly or throwing bullpens like constantly, you know? So I think mm -hmm. that communication piece of going back and forth with those kids is, is a huge piece of, of what I'm trying to do. Mm. And you're able to kind of steer them in the right direction of like the social media too, because you're, you're going to have, you know, committed kids who are probably pretty popular, you know, like they're good players, like they're probably in good teams and like, maybe they have a bit of a following. Um, has that ever happened where you're like, Hey, like maybe take that post down. Like, it's not too bad, but like, you need to, you need to maybe, you know, take it down. Like, uh, yeah, how, yeah, how do you like manage that? Uh, I think, I think this day and age, man, like kids want to be coached. Like I think kids want to be held accountable. Like I think kids, how are you supposed to show that you have real love and like real love for a, a, a player that you really care about them if you don't hold them accountable? Hmm. You know, like yeah. that, I mean, Hey man, you told me that you wanted to play professional baseball, you know? So like, if you come here and you're not doing the things that it takes for you to go play professional baseball, like I'm not doing my job. If I'm letting mm. you cut corners and get away with things, like that's that's not what you signed up for. You told me that you want to play professional baseball. You told me you want to be a big leaguer. Well, like the guys that I played with and the guys that I've recruited or the guys that I've coached that are playing in the big leagues, that's not what they do. That's not how they do it, you mm. know? So I'm going to hold you accountable to that because that's your goal. That's your aspiration. And I think when you do that, it shows kids a lot that you really care about them and you're holding up your end of the bargain of, of what you, of why you want them to come there, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, when it comes to social media stuff, yeah. I mean, very rarely does it get to a place where, you know, you're having to tell a guy to calm down a little bit, you know, yeah. obviously across the line that could really be a negative not just on them but on the program and now maybe it's something where you're having to have a tougher conversation right but um mm -hmm. uh th these kids these days they're pretty sharp man they know yeah they know what they're supposed to be doing they know what they can and can't do and very few the kids that we've recruited have ever come close to crossing those lines so that's good i feel like when it comes to like my age and then you know bring it back like 10 more years when social media was in the infancy, it was like, oh, no, it's just a wild west. Like people are just posting like things for like straight up on the public. College, like I was in college when Facebook first came out. Oh, man, and I bet so many college, kids just you had to have a college email address to have Facebook. And I remember oh my being gosh. like, this is never going to be big like this is. And now it's like Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. Yeah. You know, now it's every I, single day. I think it's harder now for kids. I'm being honest, man, like. And and we, you don't get away with anything anymore. Can't like you have to be on your p's and q's. Like you have to like you got to be on top of your stuff, man. Because if not, like somebody's there with a camera. There's a oh, camera yeah. on your phone. Like it's really hard to not get exposed in this world because it's just right around the corner there's yeah. there's a trap you know and i feel like the kids really maneuver it very very well and i think they have a really good understanding of the power of social media especially with nil and stuff now like they're they're understanding um the value they put on their brand or what they're trying to portray like mm -hmm. they, they take that stuff really serious man like they have a really good understanding there's a couple of kids that 
that are committed to us. There's a kid that, you know, that we're recruiting that you're, their social media presence is like, dude, it's really good. It's really professionally done. Hmm. You know, they do a good job. They take a lot of pride in it. Um, so I think they have a really good understanding of like above the line behavior and below the line behavior. And I think they understand yeah. that if I do something stupid, this could really not just cost me like, you know, a scholarship opportunity or, you know, could be the difference of me going to this school or that school, you know, but now it's like, it's almost like monetary for some of these guys now. Oh yeah. It actually has a f- real financial impact, which is yeah. crazy. I, I'm, we did not have that. Uh, how, how has that been so far at the NIL in particular with like your players? They've done really well with it. You know, this, I think the thing that's confusing for, you know, people out there, um that don't really understand is like it's all so state to state like what your state laws are from florida to california to new york to texas to indiana like they they could all be really really different you know so okay what these kids you know can and can't do when they're in high school compared to what they can and can't do when they get here yeah our guys have done really well i mean um, we've had some guys that, you know, you start hearing what they made and you're like, holy cow, dude. <laughs> like I, I played with, you know, not, not name dropping or anything, but I played with like, you know, Mikey Matuk and, you know, Jared Mitchell and DJ LeMayhew and yeah. Anthony Renato. I'm like big leaguers and like, I'm like, what would like DJ oh, LeMayhew made in the NIL when he was in college? Like, it, it's funny to play that game mentally. I would have had to pay somebody you know, for me to, to do anything. When hey, the, can I post this hey, about you guys? Yeah. If I pay you 50 bucks, can I post this? No. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's really interesting to see uh, how it's changed the landscape. And, and I, I think with a sport where you only have 11.7 scholarships, great. Fan, yeah. That's all. Awesome. I mean, it, it helps I these close the gaps. Like we, we've got a, you know, we've got a couple of guys that are on very minimal scholarships that, I mean, because they're good players, and because they have good branding, like these guys have made tons of money, like way more than what it costs to go to college. So for them to be able yeah. to do that on their own, awesome. That's so nice. Yeah. I think that's such a huge just level up for college baseball. And again, it really is only for your guys tier of programs right now. You think it'll like get, you think it'll trickle down? Maybe. Yeah, you got so many of those things you get, you got to, most things in life follow the money. <laughs> I, would, I would hope it trickles down. But have the money. You would hope that it that it does uh, in some sort of capacity, right? Like, yeah. I don't know if it will though. I mean, yeah. like, yeah, you can't really predict the future there with that. I don't know. I would hope that it does though, just for the sake of like, okay, college baseball. Like, it's it's even more competitive in that sense. It's like, okay, now yeah. it's like, now it's like, oh, it's not just about the monetary side. It's it's what program do I want to go to? And like, these are the reasons for it besides the size of the scholarship. And I'm thinking about that because once you show up to school, it's like, you guys don't really care about how big the guy's scholarship is. Like you just want to play the best players. They're going to yield the best results. I mean, (laughs) yeah. The the best player is going to play. I mean, whether it's non-scholarship, you know, 70%, 30%, black, white, Hispanic, like best player plays, man. Like, yeah. And that Jim, Coach Sloshner says this all the time, like, I've never wrote a lineup. The players write the lineup. Ah, uh, yeah. The player, like the best right. player plays. Like, yeah, he's right. It's so, it's so like, 
it's so cut and dry, but then again, uh, it's tough. I feel like in your guys' situation, it might be a little different. I know in my experience, it's like, wait a minute, we like this guy should play over this guy. And then it's like, okay, during the season, it's just like you get players who are like, why am I not playing enough? I mean, it's, it's kind of a tough sort of like dynamic for you coaches to have to deal with. Have you ever had, you guys have probably had to do, or in your experience, you've dealt with something along those lines where a kid comes in mid season. He's like, why am I not playing as much as I should, you know? Yeah. I think you just have like honest conversation with that player and tell them why, why, why that's the case. And the, what, and really what are the things that, you know, you need to improve upon to get that opportunity. I know this when I, when I coached and played for pulmonary, if you had the stones to walk into that office and you put up a pretty good case, he'd give you four games. Oh, he'd give you an opportunity. I, I, I saw, I saw players go in that office and if he believed what they were selling and he saw some things, maybe he didn't, you know, hadn't thought about. And a lot of the times when the players did that, those guys ended up playing the rest of the year. Cause if you have the confidence to walk in there, it's one thing to, you know, whine and complain to your mom and dad <laughs> or your girlfriend or the other guys on the team that aren't playing back at the, at the apartment. Yeah. And the walk into that room, especially if your coach has an open door policy, like coach Loshnagel has the same thing. Like, Mm-hmm. You want to talk about your plan, walk in here. But, you know, yeah. if the confidence to walk in there, you better have an understanding. You may get the answer that you don't want. You know, you may get. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. But, but it's the answer you need. It's the answer you need. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that we don't value, we don't love you, or like don't think you're part of the program or part of the team, or it doesn't even mean that you're not part of the future plans. Just sometimes like at this moment in time, like this is why this player is playing. And this is the value that he brings. And this is what, you know, gives us balance in our lineup, you know, or this is what, you know, we're able, we're, we're going to, we're willing to give up defense, you know, offense at this spot to gain defense because the other eight guys in the lineup have power or something like that. You know, you never know what the pure, you know, instance may be, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a team sport. You have to fulfill the team objective. That's priority number one. So it is unfortunate when you have a team of, you know, 30 or whatever it is with the COVID stuff and only nine guys start with, you know, X amount of pitchers, you know, pitching that, you know, it's not the whole roster that plays all the time. That's just the nature of the beast. But sometimes the things that come down to like this third baseman playing or this third baseman playing or like so minute that like sometimes kids and players, they, they don't see the game through the same lens as a coach does. Right. So like those very minute, small things, you know, that's just the difference of one guy playing and the other guy not right. But over Mm -hmm. the course of the 56 game season, those glaring little small things can add up to make a big difference. And that's Mm -hmm. why that guy's playing. Uh, But if anybody ever thought that a team, a coach was, how do I say this? Like if there's a guy playing a position that's hitting 260 and we knew there was a guy sitting on the bench that could play the same position and could hit 320. Do you not think that we would play the guy that could hit 320? Yeah. It's like, clearly <laughs> I mean, we don't think you could hit 320 right now. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's, 
like whatever the instance is, you know, it, it, it's a very yeah. delicate subject. And I think that that's the balance that you have to find as a coach is like, you have to keep communicating with, with those players that aren't playing you. If you, I was going to ask you, know, you have to give guys the opportunity uh, to get into a game and, and get their feet wet and, and spoon feed them a little bit, especially like a freshman arm. That's not really physically ready to go out there and make 14 starts. You know, maybe you mm-hmm. get that guy, 35 40 innings in really good situations for them to have success so like when they go to summer ball and now they go to the cape you know and they go through their 20 innings up there and they have a great cape and then they come back next fall they're ready to be your friday or your saturday or your sunday or your midweek starter that's how you groom and bring players along right so yeah uh, you have to have balance you can't just play nine guys, you know, like you've got to give some other opportunities at times. And the the thing mm-hmm. that happens is injuries, you know I mean? So much I change. A third baseman for six weeks. And then that gave an opportunity to do another player. And when that third baseman came back, that guy went to second base because he had performed so well. And we wanted to keep that guy in the lineup. So we actually found out something about our team because of an injury, you know? Mm-hmm. So the way that if you can find me a lineup, on opening day that was the same lineup at the end of the year of a team that makes a regional like I'd love to see it oh my gosh yes (laughs) I've always I've always thought that I mean I probably was told they're really young too but I just I would always think like 56 games and there's no way game one and game 56 are going to look the same it's impossible there's you know those those guys that are right on the cusp of being a starting player or you know getting a lot of playing time like I tell those all the guys all the time like don't let the wear and the tear of the season like bring you down like Mm. I tell them all the time like if you stay ready you don't have to get ready if you've been doing everything that you need to do on a daily basis if you if you're not a starting player and you treat your ground balls during BP your swings during BP your base running during BP like we're going to notice that we don't miss anything. We notice when a guy is just going through the motions, you know, and yeah. the guy that's bringing it every single day and is being a great teammate, like those things stand out. I remember um, I was a you know, 2009, I was a senior and mm-hmm. uh, we had DJ LeMay, who playing shortstop and Ryan Schimpf playing second base. And we had this guy named Austin Nola that was a freshman and Austin went about his business like a professional. He's now a catcher in the big leagues with the Padres as crazy mm-hmm. as that sounds converted at 27 years old catcher in the big leagues. Now that guy went about his business, like a 35 year old big leaguer at 18 years old. And we, mm. we, the one thing that that team couldn't do at that time is we just, we were a good fielding team, but we couldn't turn a double play for some reason. So Hmm. 40 games into the year, Coach Maneri takes Austin Nola off the bench, plays him at shortstop, moves DJ LeMayhew, who's about to be a second-round draft pick, to second base, and moves Ryan Schimpf, a second baseman, to left field. All three of them end up being big leaguers, and then move our left fielder to center field, and we started turning double plays. We started fielding at a very high level, and we won the national championship 40 games into a year because Coach Maneri had the confidence to make that move with Austin Nola because he had gone about his his business like a like he would take a ground ball like it was game seven of the world series every mm. single every single day and the guy had 15 at bats on the year going into that 40 game mark you know yeah. but 
you knew that that move, Paul knew that that move would make that team a national championship caliber team. And he knew he had to do it. But if Austin would have just gone and, you know, pouted or took days off or whatever, he that opportunity wouldn't have come. So. Yeah, it's such an inspiring, like, story that if you get to be a part of it, you never forget it. But if you don't know what that's like, like if you haven't seen that yet, you might like have complete doubt about that even being a possibility. I got to see it in junior college. It was awesome. And I think that needs to be just like communicated more throughout, uh, you know, youth baseball players. Like if you're riding the bench for game one through whatever it is, like at the start, like, like you're going to get your shot. There's going to be change. Like something's going to happen. Like you just Somewhere have to be ready for it. I, especially now with like 35 man rosters, like it's really hard to find guys that, that don't at least get some sort of opportunity. Now the window, that window may be smaller than an mm. opportunity that another guy gets, but man, opportunities are everywhere. And like, if you're not playing, treat practice as your game. If you're having sim games on Wednesday, pitcher versus hitter, treat that as your game. Mm-hmm. You know, go about your business like a professional. And, and, yeah. and if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Yeah, exactly. And then the flip side of it is like, if you fail to prepare, then you're preparing for failure. So it's like, you might as well prepare because then you'll, you know, prepare for success. Um, I want to get to the personal side of it now, because I can only imagine like why you started coaching. Um, If I were in your shoes, it would probably just be because of the experience that I had and just seeing what, like the power that college baseball coaching can really, you know, bring on players. Um, was this like a childhood thing? Like, did you know you always wanted to coach? Did you decide this, um, you know, right before you started coaching? You say, all right, screw it. I'm just going to start coaching. Like, you know, what, what was it? Uh, you know, I was at LSU, um, and there was a coaching change and then coach Maneri came in from Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at that point, was an underachieving player and probably an underachieving student. <laughs> and I remember Coach Maneri, first time I ever met him, he called me to his office. I had just gotten, he got hired in the summer. So I was in the ballot league playing summer ball and came back uh, and, and went to go meet him. And uh, the first thing he said to me is like, it's like, are you going to graduate? And I was like, yeah, what, why? And he's like, He's like, you had a 26 on the ACT and a 3.9 in high school, and you've got a 2.4 GPA. Like, why are you an underachiever? And I was like, smash me in the face. I was like, oh, Oh, wow. You know? And, like, I needed that, you know? And Mm. then he used to say it, and Jim says the same thing. And that's why I drive drive so many comparisons and parallels to them is, like, never had an underachieving student be an overachieving player. Like, never had an achieving student be an overachieving player now does that mean that they're all four oh students or three fives or three o's but no but if you're if your best bullet is a three o then you should be at a three o like if your mm-hmm. best bullet is a seven five then make a two seven five you know and then you know on that staff cliff godwin was on that staff and terry rooney was on that staff um uh terry rooney's the recruiting coordinator at purdue now mm-hmm. obviously cliff godwin's the head coach at uh East Carolina. And uh, yeah, those guys, man, um, those, those three guys are really what I I had an idea. That's what I wanted to do, but those guys, the way that they came in and the culture they created, 
and the program they created in a very short amount of time um, really pushed me in the over the edge of like, this is what I want to do. Like these guys mm. have had a huge impact on me as a person, the way I go about my business on a daily basis. Um, mm. I can't tell you like, even when I was done playing professional baseball and I was working at Marucci Bat Company before I went into college coaching, got the opportunity to go into college coaching, like I would be in my office and be like, all right, like mentally, you know, something would happen. Like, what would Terry Rooney do? What would Cliff Godwin do? How would Paul Maneri handle this? Like, that was how my brain was like just geared and wired, right? So those yeah. guys had a huge, huge impact on me. Um and really pushed me over the edge of wanting to be a college baseball coach. And that was kind of like yeah. my dream, right? And then it's really hard to make it happen, you know, because, you know, I mean, yeah. I, my wife was coaching softball at LSU um, while I was playing pro ball. And then when I got done, um, that's, you know, uh, went and worked at Marucci Bat Company. Uh, mm -hmm. And the director of baseball operations at LSU left. Coach Maneri knew I always wanted to coach. He, he called me as they were about to take off to go to Omaha in 2013. He's oh, like, dang. hey, I'm leaving. You know, I really want to talk to you when we get back about you being the ops guy. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to this this could happen. Right. So yeah. it ended up happening. Um, and then, you know, you work yourself from that job to the it's it's hard to say it's a promotion, but you get to go from the ops guy to the volunteer assistant. Right. So yeah. it's like, Oh, what do you do? Uh, like, I'm a coach uh, at, at a, you know, at a SEC program. Okay, what's your role? Um, the volunteer assistant. Like, the people give you crazy looks, right? And like then, what? You know, just caught another break uh, when Andy Canizero took the Mississippi State job at no in November. Um, I th don't think that if that happens at November, I think that that happens at the end of the year. Uh, coach Maneri probably goes out and does a national search, but the players that were in that program really believed in me. I remember Kramer Robertson and Greg Dykeman. That was mm. in 2017 when we ended up going to Omaha and, and, uh, and coming in second place to Florida in the national championship series. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, Greg Dykeman and Kramer Robertson and Cole Freeman and guys like that, that, you know, had impact on their careers while they were in college and they had gone, they had, you know, unbeknownst to me, they'd gone to Coach Maneri and be like, man, you should just move Nolan up. Like, he's going to be great. And like, that's wow. what he did. So that's how I became the recruiting coordinator there. And then Coach Maneri retired. And then uh, Coach Schlossnagel called me. We talked for like 45 minutes one night. And the next day, called and offered me the job. And then five hours later, I was cleaning out my office and on my way over here. So, uh, and, wow. and, and I think that that was a, for me, you know, you have a wife, you have kids, you know, you, you start to really understand that this is a business, you know, and um, there's a, you know, that's what you have to do in this industry is you, you've mm -hmm. got to make business decisions. And it was a great decision that I made and couldn't be happier to be here in College Station and, and be here with uh, Coach Sloshnagel and Coach Yeski and Coach Early. And it's just mm -hmm. an amazing place. But I know that's maybe a little bit long winded of the question that uh, the answer to the question that you had, but yeah, man, I mean, I remember uh, those guys being there and like you'd have kids on recruiting visits and mm. uh, I would, they would be like, Hey, we want you to host this kid. And I remember I was like four for four and then went five for five. And then oh, eight for yeah, yeah, yeah. Ten for 10. So I kind of be, and I learned from Cliff okay. and, Terry and Paul, like 
how they did it and things they said and the way they recruited and that kind of stuff. So that's mm -hmm. when I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to coach. I want to recruit players. I want to have an impact. And yeah, that, that was always really, really cool. So I'm so jealous. Yeah. I never got to host a kid and I'm <laughs> so, cause I'm like, dude, I'd be so good at this. Like I always thought I'd be good at it. Never got to host a kid, but I don't know one day, you know, one day it's like, all right, maybe I'll, I'll be able to tell, tell my players to, to host somebody, you know? Um, do you ever think about uh, if it wasn't coaching, what it would be? You know, if, if you weren't coaching right now, like where you'd be no, I really, I, I really loved my time working at Marucci Bat Company because it was still mm -hmm. in baseball. Um, yeah. I did a bunch of different jobs there. I assisted a guy named Kyle Orso who was in charge of their major league and minor league department. Now he's, I think he's over there sports marketing because that company's really, really grown over the last couple of years. Mm. You know, Kurt Ainsworth, one of the owners and, uh, one of the owners and I think he's still the CEO, even though they've sold it, but uh, yeah. you know, get to work for people like that. And it was just always a very uh, exciting and, and the company was growing so fast. So you're like, all of a sudden I was helping Kyle Orso. And then six months later, I was in charge of Dick Sporting Goods and Academy and their key account manager. So like you're learning new things. And that was really, really interesting, exciting. And I learned a lot of the, a lot of the skills that I learned there just because people think like baseball coach, like you practice, you coach and you recruit and you go home. Like, no, dude, like we're here at like 7 a.m. And we leave here even on days we're not practicing. Like we leave here at 6 p.m. Because like there's just a lot of things that have to be done. This is, you know, college baseball, you have a head coach, two paid assistants, a volunteer, you know, a ops guy. Most programs, that's it. Like you've got five people to, to run a program. So you have to wear many hats. You know, mm -hmm. I, I kind of, sometimes I'm like. 50% coach, 30% recruiting coordinator, and 20% accountant. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> up with these little small tasks that yeah, you're always trying to fill cracks. And, and that's what you have to do in, in, in a college baseball program where you have limited people that you that you can have. So a lot of the skills that I learned in that private sector of working at, at, at a you know batting bat company at the time. Now they have gloves, they have everything, they do multiple sports. Like mm -hmm. those skills that I learned there like have helped me in this job because I yeah. know how to multitask. I know how to, you know, do, you know, certain programs, outlook, you know, Excel, you know, word PowerPoint presentations, like whatever you, I learned how to do those things there. Cause that's what you, you know, you had to yeah. do it's such a fast moving company. So a lot of those things that I learned there, I can't tell you how many skills that I learned in that environment that, that I use here on a daily basis. So I probably yeah. would have done something in that. I really enjoyed, uh, you know, being in, being in sports, you still mm -hmm. felt like you were a part of baseball. Um, I had, uh, you know, a couple of companies, you know, try to come after me to be a, be an agent, you know, stuff like that. So I probably mm -hmm. would have still done something in baseball, but, mm -hmm. uh, coaching is man, it's, it's the best. It's a totally different beast too. I, I wanted to ask too about um, when you finished your playing career, particularly you said earlier, I don't know if we caught this on camera that you had a second elbow procedure and then that is what kind of ended it for you. Is that what it was? Was it, yeah, it was so at the time where at, uh, South Bend, we were playing on the road. Okay. It's freezing cold in like April. Somehow it's still freezing cold there. Uh yeah. I wouldn't say there was like ice on the mound. It wasn't like that. But you, if you play professional baseball, especially during the season, you know, like if you're a pitcher, you know that mound, like 
they're not all like those college mounds that we played on or those big league mounds where it's like that nice, like manicured sticky clay that your cleat really sticks into. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I was just pitching, I was throwing a slider and my front foot slipped and then my elbow kind of dropped and just the ball just. Oh boy. But I had fractured the bone where they drilled me to where I had Tommy John the first time. So I was going to have to wait for that Mm. to heal. And then they were probably going to have to go back in there and fix some things. I wasn't a big leaguer. I wasn't a great player. So I, the Detroit Tigers were great to me. They actually let me go down and rehab, um, do a full rehab just to get movement back and that kind of stuff. And then after that, I retired and I I wouldn't even call it retired. I hung it up. (laughs) Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. mean, uh, I never had the second Tommy John surgery, even though I should have. Yeah, because I, I hear that it's like, you know, the game will kind of let you know when it's your time to go. And honestly, dude, like I was playing professional baseball. Uh, we won the national championship. I woke up the next morning. I had a phone call. I looked at the, I didn't, you know, look at it. I don't know the number. I don't answer. They call me right back. This guy named Jim Ruff, the Detroit Tigers. Um, he had, said, Hey, you know, I'm, you know, we want you to come play, you know, professional baseball. Can you be in Lakeland, Florida in seven days? And I was like, yeah. And I was really doing that because, you know, I wanted like professional baseball to be on my resume because I wanted to coach. Right. Mm. So when I went to prof- professional baseball, yeah, I was there, but it was like, I wouldn't want to say it was like a victory lap in the sense of like, um, I didn't take it serious. I took it serious. Like I worked, I, mm. I, I did really well I went from rookie ball to high A to double A in like two or three months um but but I was there to get an education on baseball you know I was Mm. always around the cages I was watching guys work with hitters you know when the catching rover would come into town I was watching them work with catchers you know I was around the coaches I was there to 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 get that master's degree in coaching so Mm. um uh but uh that's what, that's really why I went and played pro baseball. Cause and it's also one of the things it's a childhood dream. You want to play in the big leagues, you know, you, you want to play professional baseball. And when you get the opportunity, how are you going to turn your turn away from that? You know what I'm saying? But yeah. It was really hard because Terry Rooney was the head coach at UCF. And I had literally mm. just went from rookie ball to high a, and he called me and he's like, Hey man, I want you to come uh, be my uh, volunteer assistant. And I was like, dude, I, I just got the high a man. Like, I, yeah, I yeah. Hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. I'm not done yet. I'm not quite done yet, but it was going to yeah. be really hard. Like I said, my wife was working for LSU softball. So, you know, how are you going to be married in Baton Rouge and Orlando, Florida? It's just not. Yeah, that doesn't work. But it sounds like it was icing on the cake, you know, yeah, nonetheless. It was great experience. Love my pro ball experience. You know, met so many people uh, in professional baseball that I stay in touch with today. And, uh, the only way to play in the big leagues is to play professional baseball. So you know, that, that you, know, you got to go do it at some point if you want to play in the big leagues. So, yeah, you mentioned the network thing too. I mean, that's what it's all about. You know, the people, the relationships, you know, at least that's how I see it. Um, yeah. I got one more question. Last one. Uh, I got to know this, this recruiting, you know, trail, like how, how the visits go. I want to know about, just like a, a really memorable recruiting visit you had or a player experience. Um, it could have even been like a player you had on, you know, one of your teams. Um, it could be, it could be um, like a, um, a road trip you took, you know, it could be anything. Um, just anything along the lines of recruiting, like a story that you have. 
I don't know if there's any that I can legally talk about. I've run into this problem before. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you my most memorable moment. Um, when we when I when we won the national championship and mm. running out to dogpile and not remembering that I was running and not remembering how I ended up on the bottom of the dog pile or anything that happened in that whole period of the time. But I just remember like that feeling and that excitement and that, man, it's hard to put into words because we were all like very, very close. We're hmm. still very, very close today. I'm in a group me with 23 dudes that, that I played with, you know, like we talk on a daily basis, it feels like, you know, hmm. and now you know, we're all older, we're married, some of us have kids, some of the guys are still single, some of the guys are still playing professional baseball somehow, like, even yeah. at 36, 37 years old, like, it's crazy. But just that, 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 that feeling of all the work that you put in, not just as an individual, but as a team, like to hold that trophy over your head and to win that is a feeling and a drug that I think that I'm still chasing again to this day. You Dang. know, like, yeah. Like now, you know, especially you work for Coach Sloshnagel, who's, I mean, the thing that this guy has done in this game, you know, he, the only thing he hasn't done is won a national championship and like, that he's chasing that and we're all chasing that with him and like we want to be a part of that you know what i'm saying like mm -hmm. i want it again i want it as a coach because it's just such a different i think it's going to be such a different feeling because it's i i don't know why it's going to be a different feeling i think when you have the pride of like okay you, you helped recruit these players you helped develop these players not just yourself as an individual when you won one as a player but you recruited and developed these players and they win a national championship like what that feeling is going to feel like yeah i mean it's it's this sense of uh, almost intense gratification that it's like this worked this worked like this is what works like it worked now and I feel like the word you were trying to use is like euphoria because it's like you can't you just can't even, you know, describe it like you said. I, I like that, though. That's the first uh, time. That's for, when I asked about recruiting. It's like, all right, there's this, you know, terrible thing that happened. It's like, yeah, all these all these crazy stories I've heard already about this recruiting. But for you to bring it back to like, oh, no, it's all about like that dog pile at the end. It's like, <laughs> like that's that's what it is. Ugh, I love that. No one. I mean, that's all I have um from the question side of things from the conversation that we've had i feel like we've accomplished a lot here and i i think or i hope you can use uh you know this as a tool you know for for you to to give the players maybe just to get a better sense of what what you're like what the program's like um and yeah i i, I guess the last thing is uh, if you have any like last words you want to give to listeners you know could be parents uh, players you're recruiting players you're not recruiting you know players who don't even know um, like what you're all about so yeah, I yeah. think uh, the main message I would have for players out there is um, you know it's a really different environment right now and um, you know especially feel bad for like the kids that were senior in high schools like during COVID and mm. and that kind of stuff like just how many bad things have happened to like that group of players right and then sure. you know just the opportunities that kind of dwindled away for a lot of those players. 
But I think now with kids, like I would tell them like, Hey man, like have a really well thought out process of what you want. Um, the kids that I feel like that we've recruited that have had the best processes, whether we got them or not, like their parents were uh, involved in the sense of like, hey, man, you're from Washington. Hey, man, like when I ask you the question, like, hey, have you you and your parents like talked about you leaving the state or leaving that part of the country? Like you should be able to answer that question. Like you're 16 years old. Like do your parents, do you feel comfortable with leaving that part of the country or not? You know what I'm saying? Like and yeah. sometimes you ask kids questions and they're, they don't have an answer. It's almost like, hey, dude, like you haven't really thought about this. Like how serious have you been taking this? You know, mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying that you need to be all like just completely immersed in and it should drive every factor of your life is getting recruited and how to do it and like be like a robot when you get questions but like you have should have like if you're obsessed with the game if you love baseball if your dream is to play college baseball at a very very high level like when you get on the phone with a recruiting coordinator like you should have some pretty good answers you know you should show that be able to articulate that i've really thought about what i want what i'm looking for right but mm -hmm. for me kids that do that and most decisions, and I'm stealing this from Coach Sloshnagel, most decisions come down to academics, player development, and team success. That, that Those are the three things that most decisions come down to. So, like, be thinking about what's important to you in development. Be thinking about what's important to you academically. Like, does Texas A&M have the major that you want? Like, you, if, you, if we're talking for the first time and, you know, you – if you're young, you may not know exactly what you want to do in college. Like, okay. True. I yeah. Get, like if you know that a and one of your top schools and you want to do kinesiology, you should know whether Texas A&M has kinesiology or not. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. obviously the the program success is, is, a, is a big thing. Kids want to go to a place where they're going to win. But um, I would say, you know, don't have like a script that you're following, but show that you have people skills show that you can carry a conversation, show that you've put some real thought into this, not with just yourself, but with, with your family and the mm. things that y'all value and the things that you want. Because when you get on the phone with a kid and you have a great conversation, that kid can really carry a conversation at 15, 16 years old, man, it's, it's a real turn on. Like it makes you go, man, this is, this is the kind of, this is what we're looking for. This is what we want. Like we want mm -hmm. this type of player to where if I'm having to lead the whole conversation and I'm getting yes, sir, no, sir. Well, what, what do you like to do? Like, uh, you know, like, yeah, you should be able to tell me something about yourself. So like, don't mm -hmm. ever forget that, you know, number one, be yourself, be confident, but man, have some sort of plan, like have some sort yeah. of like thought that you've put into this because it's a huge decision. This isn't just a decision of what you're wanting to do for the next four years once you're done with high school, like there's going to be a 50 year decision. You know, I mean, Texas A&M, you know, there's a huge network here. There's 550,000 living alumni at Texas A&M. There's 74,000 kids that go to school here. Like it's a big school, but it's Crazy. a special place. And 70, the fact that 74,000 kids want to go to school here, that should tell you something that this place is really cool and really special and has a really good degree. It's a top 10 public university in the country. Um, it's one of the best degrees in, in the SEC. Like you should, you should know, you should seek out those. You should have those type of questions. Like what, what mm. are we getting? So, um, because like I said, it is a decision that's going to affect you for the rest of your life because 
me tell you something, Big Daddy. If you're still playing baseball when you're 40, I mean, holy cow. We like we've got a real <laughs> you're on your third major league contract. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, like if you're still playing baseball when you're 36, I mean, holy cow. Like that's just amazing. Like I'm 37 and I can't imagine still playing baseball, but it doesn't happen yeah. a lot. So like you want to go to a place where like that degree is going to really work for you. And that's one of the things that's special about AM is like I said, 550,000 living alumni. There's more Fortune 500 CEOs from Texas A&M than any school in the country, including wow. the Ivy League. Like, how crazy yeah. is that, right? So I can't tell you how many former, and I've only been here for a year and a half, how many former players that I've met that aren't playing baseball anymore that are just absolutely smashing it, like killing mm. it. They own they have their own state farm agency, medical device sales, oil and field, I mean, mm. oil and gas field, like, just killing it. They're all doing really, really well because this Aggie network is a real thing. Like the saying that Aggies take care of Aggies, they they really do, man. Like all like mm. Troy Clanch signed to go signed free agent to go play professional baseball. He turned down he he's got two jobs on the back burner that start off paying him over a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. And he went and played pro professional baseball for like fourteen hundred bucks a month. You know what I'm saying? Like that yeah. because he's here and like just had that personality. <laughs> He had success and mm -hmm. met a lot of people and they were like dude we love this guy we want this guy to be a part of our company like it's crazy you know yeah oh man can't imagine it. if i were 15 i'd want to hear that so bad the last the last thing i'll just say figure yourself out oh my gosh that is like for me that was the big thing too oh like th that's the take home for me figure like, yourself out like oh my gosh oh. Things earlier and earlier like you know 15 yeah. old kid for the most part isn't really going to know what they want to do. And I get that. Cause I didn't really know that I wanted to coach until I was 19, you know? Mm. So like, I get it, but like, um, and you don't have to have the answer to that question, but you know, some of the other things like, you know, be prepared, like have show that you've, you've put some thought in that you're taking this process serious because, you know, we're not all just on the phone with 600 kids. Like we're probably mm. on the phone with 20 to 40 kids at a time. I yeah. mean, on the high end, like you can't be on the phone with 600 kids. It's impossible. You know, it's like, I've been told many times already in my professional career, it's your career. You choose what you do with it, you know? Yep. So uh, no one, I really appreciate the time. And I want to talk to you really briefly after we sign off, but um, that's it, you know, and I'll just say last time, thank you very much for, for coming on. No, oh, thanks for having me on, man. It was awesome. Spend some time with you.